Father, as we spend this time with you and your word, may we hear it as your voice, because we know that it is. Not just the words of, of people, but, but your word to us. And so I pray that as we read this morning, as we consider what you have said, may we hear your voice. And in hearing it, may we obey your voice. May we be encouraged and challenged and strengthened by it. And may I say all the things that you would have to be said today about this passage. In Christ's name, amen. I hope no one's bothered by hear a slight buzzing behind me. Anybody else hear that? Maybe? No? Now that you're all listening for it, right? You know, it's going to drive me crazy if it doesn't get to... No, okay. <laughs> Remember that Sunday Pastor Now lost his temper on stage? Remember that? That's one of the last ones. He just lost it. Um, okay, would you go to the book of Exodus chapter 31? Exodus chapter 31. Genesis, Exodus, maybe not a place you thought you would find yourself in a series on spiritual gifts, but I would say it's a great place for us to find ourselves today. Uh, Genesis and Exodus, Exodus chapter 31, and we're going to read 1 through 11. A little bit of context before we read. Uh, This is after Israel has, uh, the people of Israel have been enslaved in Egypt, and then you know Moses goes to Pharaoh, and it's let my people go, and it's no, and then there's plagues, and then eventually after the, the first Passover, that's when the people of Israel left Egypt, and God begins to give them instructions, instructions in the wilderness about uh, this. He gives them instructions, and then what we're going to read about today is he's talking about this uh, portable, this, this movable temple in the wilderness called the tabernacle. It's, it's a tent, and it's like this portable place of worship. And there's the holy place, and then there's the second compartment that's the holy of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant is, okay? This, is, this text is about that, okay? Um, I still hear the angels singing behind me or something. I don't know. Maybe? We're gonna, I'm going to start throwing things over in the back, like Jesus in the temple. I don't know what that is. Do you hear the buzzing? Is it me? Okay, okay. It must be me. I'm losing my mind. Okay, okay. I'm just going to ignore it. And hopefully you will too. Christy does believe I've lost my mind. Okay. Here we go. Exodus chapter 31 uh, says this. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel. I've practiced that name all week, just, just for you, just so you know. Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of her, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with them Aholiab, you're welcome, uh, the son of uh, Hisamach of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony and the mercy seat that is on it. And all the furnishings uh, of, of the tent, the table and its utensils, and the pure lampstand with all of its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering with all of its utensils, and the basin and its stand, and the finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron, the priest, 
and the garments of his sons for their service as priests, and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense of the holy place, according to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. Okay, so this morning I'm talking about work. Um, and, and uh, you know, I, I have been paid for the last six years to do just this. And, and more, you know, but, but I've done this. Uh, I've gotten to preach. And, and I, know, I know pastors only work once a week. I, I get that. I'm working right now. You're going to be working tomorrow. Are you excited about that? Are you happy about Monday? A snowy Monday? Well, you know, um, side note. Did I ever tell you once I, I used that joke in a church office, a different church in Illinois, central Illinois? I walked into the church office, and uh, I walked in, and everybody's working, you know, and doing their thing. And I said, oh, you're, what, what are you doing here on Monday? I thought pastors only worked once a week. And it was silence. Nobody laughed. And I didn't know what to do with that. And so I said, no, no, no. I'm a pastor too, so I, I can tell that joke, and it's it's funny. Right? I mean, like I'm one of you. I wanted to say that, but I didn't. You know, I kind of like, well, fine, forget it. And I didn't say anything. You know, apparently that's not a funny joke, but I've always laughed when you've told it. So just think about how gracious I've been. Think about that. All right. If I hear it one more time, no, okay, um, no. I am grateful that I have been. Uh, well, my family and I have been well supported by this church to do the work of ministry here. I want to tell you, um, in our thinking often about pastors and ministry and work and vocation or calling, whatever word you want to throw out there to talk about what you do versus what pastors do or other vocational Christian ministers, um, there's, kind of this, there's kind of this divide where, where you feel like there's secular employment and then there's like the, the sacred employment, you know? And, and I, I would say that that is not the way we should view life and calling and vocation. I think it comes from, uh, going back thousands of years, you've got, you've got, uh, pagan people worshiping, sacrificing to pagan gods, false gods, and, and you've got to have priests to do that, right? And so there's these people that have this special job, that represent the people. Now, even in Israel, which is worshiping the true God, the living God, there were priests. You know, God's like, you know, give me the Levites, give me Aaron, give me those people, and they're going to represent me to you. They're going to offer sacrifices. You're not going to go in the tabernacle. You're not going to walk in the holy place. And only once a year could you go into the Holy of Holies with the Ark of the Covenant. So he's like, you're not doing that. That's for the Levites. That's for the priests. They're going to represent me to you. And I think so it's been that we have a holdover from that where we consider secular callings and sacred callings. But if it's true that we are a kingdom of priests, um, that's the next slide. If it's true that what 1 Peter says, uh, you yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, then what that means is that there's not this distinct sacred calling, secular calling. There's working and doing God's work wherever you are. The reformers helped us a lot with this, by the way. 
I think I mentioned it when we did the Reformation study. Uh, Martin Luther talked about it. I think the next slide is a quote from him. This might be helpful. Um, yeah, two, two in, sorry. Uh, the works of monks and priests, however holy and arduous they may be. Like, he doesn't, like, shortchange them, right? You know, it's good stuff. Do not differ one whit in the sight of God from the works of the rustic labor in the field or the woman going about her household tasks. All works are measured before God by faith alone. So do you work by faith alone? Is that how you do your job? Is that how you work for your employer? By faith alone. And so Martin Luther was, was trying to break down this distinction between secular callings and sacred callings. You think about it, um, if you think about it, even in uh, Revelation, we are told, and one of my favorite verses, it's towards the end of Revelation, in that book, where it says, his servants will serve him. So, so, so we're going to work throughout our life. I mean, it started in the Garden of Eden, right? I mean, Adam and Eve, pre-fall, worked. They were naming animals, tending the garden, walking with the Lord. I mean, there was work in the garden. And, and, and yeah, now we're under the curse, and we'll probably touch on that at some point where work becomes more difficult. But in Revelation, we still work. It's not one unending uh, singing service, right? We praise through how we work. And so I love the verse, his servants will serve him. And so I know God's going to give us jobs in heaven. And, and we're not going to get the job and say, oh, you gave me a secular job, Lord. Why well, wanted the sacred one? I wanted to lead the choir, you know. Why did you give me this? Why am I mowing the grass, you know? Uh, it, it's not going to be that way. It's all sacred. It's all work. It's all for the Lord. And so I think Martin Luther uh, pointed this out. And I think if we truly live out this idea that there, there's no more Levites, you're the priest, you're the priest, you're the priest, we're all priests, then what we do, the work that we do, is for the Lord. And that means, uh, title slide please, our work is, oh, back a couple, sorry, our work is worship. Our work is worship. Like, we can say that. If, if you are filled with the Spirit of God, which is the qualification that God gives here in verse 3, uh, I have filled him with the Spirit of God. If you are filled with the Spirit of God, if you're a believer, then your work is worship. So I can read this passage. I can read Exodus 31. I can think about the tabernacle and what they were doing there. And realize that as God called them to work, he's called you to work. And he's called me to work. Wherever you go, wherever you are, we're all called to this. And we can start to break down the dividing line between secular and sacred. And worship God wherever we are, whatever we do. So what does it mean to say that our work is worship? How do we worship God at work? So I would have you read, uh, again, Exodus 31, 4 and 5. Take a look at this. So um, he's called these different people, filled them with the Spirit, and then he says, uh, verse 4, to devise artistic designs, working gold, silver, bronze, cutting stones, carving wood, to work in every craft. So, so God wants them to build a tabernacle. And then, and then at the end he says, um, I'm not going to read the whole thing again, but verse 7, uh, the tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony, the mercy seat, and all of the furnishings. 
So let's say this, that when God called these people to build the tabernacle, he was calling them to worship through their work for his purposes. That's number one. How do we worship? We worship in the way we contribute to God's purposes. Do you ever, do you ever step back and, and think about how your job contributes to God's purposes? Do you ever think to yourself, I'm not just working for compensation, I'm working for contribution. Now, compensation is important, and the New Testament has a few different references on supporting your family, and if you don't work, you shouldn't eat, and and those kind of things, right? I mean, compensation is important. But do you know that it goes beyond paycheck? Which means it also goes beyond whatever your paycheck says, whether you feel good or bad about that. It goes to, I worship at work by the way in which I contribute to the purposes of God. Now, the purpose of Exodus 31 is build the tabernacle, build the Ark of the Covenant, build the the different furnishings on the inside, the altar of incense, uh, make the robes for the priests. That's a contribution, right? Have you stopped to thank God that you are contributing to his purposes. Um, I may have a verse here before I go any further. Um, Here we go. Um, Next verse. Next slide. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. I read that earlier in the service. Do you know the context of that verse? We like to quote it. The context is the relationship between slaves and masters. Slaves and masters. And so he can say to you slaves, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, your masters, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving not your master, you're serving the Lord Christ. He says that to slaves. I bet all of you like your employment more than you would if you were a slave. Right? If he can say this to slaves, how much more can he say it to you? To you. That you would work heartily for the Lord, not for men. That your very work would be an act to show God and show people how great God is. So when you work, um, think about it in terms of I am contributing, not just being compensated, that's true too. I am contributing to human fruitfulness. I mean, think, think about Genesis 1. I'm just going to use that word, right? I'm going to use fruitfulness because of Genesis 1-3, through 3, where God says, be fruitful and multiply. Now, fruitful doesn't just mean have a lot of kids, you know? I mean, certainly it includes children, but being fruitful means to be productive, Like, do something, you know, do something and and, and be productive. And so, can you think of how your job contributes to human fruitfulness? Sometimes people say flourishing, human flourishing. Can you make those connections for yourself? That if you work in a pretzel factory, 
I knew a guy that worked in a pretzel factory. But if you work in a pretzel factory, you're contributing to the feeding of people. I know you say, well, it's just pretzels. Who cares about the pretzels? No, no, it's food. And it's contributing to people that are, that are they need to eat something. And it's even a healthier food than other foods, so, you know, it's good, right? By the way, my friend that worked in a pretzel factory, um, he could tell you about the ingredients of the pretzels and what percentage was the standard for how many insect parts were in the pretzel ingredients. Just put it out there. He worked... He worked for a reputable pretzel-making company that shall remain nameless. And he could say, as long as it was like .0-something insect parts, that is considered the standard. I don't remember what it was. I didn't call him up to ask him. But I'll never forget him telling me that over lunch. (laughs) Yeah. um, So, uh, do, do you look at yourself and say, If I work for the cell phone company, I'm helping connect people. I'm helping connect people. And in particular, there's going to be people in emergency situations who are going to pull out their cell phone. Yes, I know. Cell phones can be used in a lot of other different ways, and there are such distractions from good things. But but in emergency situations, someone can pull out their phone and call for help. When someone loses a loved one, they can call the family and tell them what's going on. That, that cell phones actually do a service to human flourishing, even if there are negative sides, right? So don't view your calling as less than others. Don't view your calling as less than others. There's something that you do that contributes to the human race, to our society, improving and being better. And if you get no paycheck and you were the mom at home, you were doing an awesome contribution. Although you don't get a paycheck, you are contributing to human flourishing by investing in those kids. Okay? Don't view your calling, don't view the size of your paycheck or lack thereof as less than others. Look at what you're contributing to God's work. But also, you know, let's just be honest here, okay? Um, there's insect parts in our pretzels. Let's, let's be honest about this. And there's sin in our business, right? Yes, cell phones can be used for bad things. And, and yes, pretzels aren't 100% pure. Neither is anywhere you work. It's all got problems. And so we ought to be ethic. We, we ought to recognize the insect parts for what they are. But let's be ethical, in our business practices, you know, let's do what we can. And whatever you do, you, you got to look at it as I am serving the Lord, which means I can't do unethical things in how I conduct my business because it's for the Lord. I was once sitting around a table with a bunch of friends. I think it was like a New Year's Eve party, if I remember correctly. And we were playing a board game. I don't remember what game it was because I've never played it since then. But it was kind of like... It, w- it was a game of, like, ethics. It was so interesting. And, and you would read this unethical card, and then you would have to say who in the group would be most likely to do that unethical thing. And, and, and one of them was like, you know, that, 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 you, that you do, like, these, these jobs on the side, and you get paid really well for them, but you never claim it on your taxes, you know? And, like, everybody in the group knew who exactly that was, and we all said it. And I was like, oh, man, this is a bad game, you know? This is, like, we're about to take communion after this game or something. I don't know. 
I don't know, like a little confession time. But, but look, be ethical in what you do at your work. Because you're doing it for Jesus and not for your boss. You may not want to do it for your boss, but do it for Jesus. Um, so number one, uh, to say it again, um, we worship in the way we contribute to God's purposes. And yes, your work does have a good purpose behind it, unless you're doing something horribly unethical for your job. Okay? Uh, number two, if you would look at verse six with me. Um, well, first of all, let's read the names again. Verse two. He says, see, I've called by name Bezalel. Like, give me Bezalel. He's going to work. And then in verse six, you got, and behold, I have appointed with him, with Bezalel, a holy ab. A holy ab gets to work with him. And then at the end of that verse, he says, um, I have given to all men ability that they may make all that I've commanded you. So, so here it is. God doesn't only appoint Bezalel. He appoints a holy ab. Isn't that a great point? Don't you, aren't you glad you're here to hear that? Bezalel and a holy ab. You get two of them. And this is the point. God gives you co-workers. God gives you co-workers. And he, he, he tends to be sovereign over these things. The good ones and the bad ones. He's given those people to you. And how you work has an impact on them. Now look, I know. Uh, there was Adam. And Adam was given Eve as a helper. And they could work together in the garden. Moses had Joshua, Right? Samson had Delilah. All right, maybe not. Uh, <laughs> um, but we, we are given partners, we are given co-workers to get things done together, and it does please God. He likes it when we work together with people, right? He created us for community, and part of that community is even at your workplace. And so, um, next, next uh, slide, ver- the verse. Uh, I think of like 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, and 12, which says, you know, aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands, as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So how I work does impact the outsiders. Do you ever think about that? How you work impacts the outsiders. You want to walk and work properly before them. Next slide. Some ways I think this shows up, you ought to be a great coworker. Are you a great coworker? Are you calm when there's pressure at work? Are you flipping out because there's a noise behind you that you can't turn off? Are you calm when the pressure is on? Because people see that, and if I remember correctly, the fruit of the Spirit is patience. Do you have patience and calm at work? Because your life is a testimony. Are you kind at work? Are you kind? Never forget working down, down, downtown Chicago, and I was uh, at a, at the attorneys I was working with attorneys, and I was like in the lower level, um, and there was a stairway, and there was like three or four other floors, and it, they were kind of small floors, but I, I could hear. I could hear attorneys screaming at each other sometimes when I came into work. They'd just be yelling. And, and one of the partners, you know, one of the higher-up guys, is yelling at the new guy. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm glad I'm not him, you know. You, you could just hear that, you know. Are you a kind, calm coworker, or, or is, is it the opposite? 
Are you generous with praise? Or do you expect everybody to compliment you on the job that you do? Please tell me my preaching's good. But, but are, are you generous with the compliments that you give out for the people working around you? Or is work really all about how great you're doing? As far as I know, humility says I'm supposed to esteem others better than myself. Which I think would have mean encouraging and praising my coworkers. Would you bless those difficult co-workers and know that God has put them into your life for a reason? Yes, even the difficult ones. They're there by his sovereign hand. And they may be driving you crazy, but there's a reason for all this. Would you bless them? Maybe that's through an encouraging word. Maybe that's through a gift. Maybe it's through not returning unkind words for what they have offered you. Would you bless them? Would you pray for them? It's hard. It's hard to be furious with, furious with the coworker when you're praying for them. And maybe that would unlock, unlock something in your own heart for how you feel. I pray for Ian every day. What was it you said about me a few weeks ago? I forget what you said now, but I knew I, you knew there was comeback coming, though, right? You knew it was coming. Yep, yep. Bless you, Ian. All right, uh, next point. Uh, <laughs> can I just say instead that Ian's been? Oh, sorry. Go back to that last one. I'm, I'm going to see. Um, uh, Ian's been a great coworker, by the way, and I mean that 100. Uh, percent Bring coworkers into your life. Outside of work, you know, I mean, you could actually invite these people into your life, into your church, into your social circles. You know, you got your Christian friends and that's all good, but invite one of them to come in with you. See what that's like. That you would open your life to people. That you would view your workplace as the mission field. And that you are there for a reason. It's not just a paycheck. It's not just a paycheck. But you would invite them into your life. Um, so God loves it when we work with our co-workers when we display him to them and then number uh, number three number three if you look at verse three with me uh, maybe you caught this when we read it the first time this is the first thing I noticed about this passage uh, God says I have filled Bezalel with the spirit of God with ability, with intelligence, with knowledge, in all craftsmanship. This guy could build. This guy was smart. He could get stuff done. And all of us have that. We, we worship in the way we use our abilities, our intelligence, our knowledge, our craftsmanship in the Spirit. I saved it for last, but actually verse 3 has it first. God says, I filled him with the Spirit. Filled them with the Spirit. That's the most important quality you could have, right? That you would go into work full of the Holy Spirit. That, that you would... That I don't know what tools you use for your job. Computer, email, hammer. I, I, I don't know what tools you use at work. But I do know that you're supposed to be a tool of the Holy Spirit at work. I can say that. You're filled with the Spirit of God. You're in that place, which means the Holy Spirit's in that place. 
and he wants to use you as the hammer and smack down those... No, um, he wants to use you as his tool to bless the people you work with and not hammer them down, right? Um, uh, Next slide. Maybe some ways that I see this. You know, do, do you do your work with excellence? Like, do you realize that the quality of what you do is a reflection of the abilities God has given you? And if you slack off at work, it's like a slap in the face to God saying, you know, I don't need to do my best. But God's like, I gave you your intelligence. I gave you your abilities. I I gave you your craftsmanship. Some of it is inborn. Some of it's learned. I understand that. But he gave you the ability to work. Do you do it with excellence as to him? Do you use your spiritual gifts to bless your coworkers? You just think you could use your gifts to improve your work environment. That whatever you come home complaining about at the end of the day, you could use your gifts to make that place different. If you have the gift of helps or service, you could serve or help your coworkers. If you have the gift of encouragement, you could build up your coworkers using that gift. If you have the gift of evangelism, you bring up Christ over lunch. You should do that anyway, whether or not you have the gift. But you can bring your gifts into the workplace, bless the people around you, and make that place look different. Does the boss really control the atmosphere at work completely? Or might it be the Holy Spirit that wants to change things up using your gifts? And then lastly, I'll say it again. You know, I said it earlier. May you be the Holy Spirit's tool at work. That he would use you wherever you're at to bless people wherever they're at. And that he has gifted you not just so you can use your gifts in these four walls, but whatever four walls you work in. Maybe you ought to consider that. How does my gift fit my workplace? Finally, lastly, if, if you're not a believer today, um, I have a verse for you. If you're not filled with the Spirit of God and you're here and you've heard me say all these things about work, I would say this to you. And this is the thing you need to hear the loudest this morning. I'm going to give you a work verse, but it's the best work verse you could ever hear. It's one of my favorite verses, probably in the top ten. Romans 4, 5. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Listen, there is a sense where I can say to you in full truth, don't work for God. And what I mean by that is, don't work to be saved, to earn grace, to get some sort of favor from him, to be able to say, God, you owe me because I've been... Don't do that. Don't work. All of us owe God. None of us are people that he owes anything to. And so we don't work to get things from him. We work for him out of gratitude, out of worship for who he is and what he's done, but never to earn salvation, never to earn grace. And we despise anything that has anything to do with somehow doing to receive. 
we have faith, and faith is your hands out saying, I got nothing, would you give that to me? And so our message is that Christ has paid the price for your sins. He suffered, he bled, he died to pay the price that you deserve to pay for the wrongs that you have done. You have more than .0-something percent of insect parts in your life. It's a higher, higher percentage than that in your life and in mine. And I need someone to cleanse me of the insect parts. And maybe Christ this morning wants to cleanse you of your sin. Maybe that's what he's asking you today. To step up. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes now? If this last part of this message is for you, and this is the day you need to receive Christ as your Savior, Stop trying to work from it, work for it. Stop trying to be a good enough person to earn heaven. Let go of all that garbage and just stand before God and say, You died for me. The grace is free. I'll take it. If you would like to do that today, would you pray something like this in your own heart? Lord Jesus, this morning I confess that my sin is great, the percentage is high. I've done a lot of wrong. I've broken a lot of commandments. But today, by grace, I just want to say I believe in you. I believe in Jesus' death on the cross to pay the price for my sin. And I ask you to forgive me. Wash me clean. Begin a relationship with me. Oh, Spirit, fill my life up. Live inside me for all the rest of my days. Thank you. Thank you for hearing me. And thank you for saving me. I give my life to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And with your heads down and your eyes closed, if this was your day and you prayed that today, this is a great day for you. Would you look up at me if this was your day and you prayed and you crossed that line and you gave your life to Christ? Is there anybody here that did that today? I'm just asking. Okay. I see you. Thanks for the hand up. I would not have spotted you. Thank you. Let me pray for you and this faith that you've expressed today. Father, I pray for this dear woman that has responded and raised her hand to say, it's me. Oh God, I pray you'd bless her, connect her with the, with a church, be it this one or another one, connect her with a body of people that can help her grow in her faith. Protect her from the uh, schemes of the devil who would like to discourage her and like to tell her this was not a real thing this morning. May you constantly remind her that this is real. And that what happened today was your spirit moved in her heart. May she grow and become strong in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. And can I say that if you or anyone else needs a Bible, we love giving Bibles away here. Take a Bible. Take a Bible here. If you'd like something to help you start in your faith, 
Uh, there's the book Multiply. It's, a, it's an orange book out there in the foyer. That's yours as a gift as well. Uh, but take a Bible, take a book, and grow. And, and if you want to contact me or the church, um, fill out one of those connection cards and we'll be in touch. And we can talk further. All right. I think I'm turning it over to the worship team. Lead us well. Lead us out here.